We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome back for episode 34 of BuzzBeat Radio. We're deep into the dog days of summer with basketball, but we do have a few topics to tackle tonight. This will be a special edition show with two different segments. It's Richie, Brian, and myself during the first segment. We're going to be discussing Julian Stone, Hornets' schedule release, and Steve Clifford comments uh, on Chris Kroger's show, a friend of the podcast, mind you, WFNZ Primetime. He talked about Dwight Howard, had some high comments about Dwight Howard, and also talked about Malik Monk uh, and his recovery from his ankle sprain. The second segment is going to be recorded myself and good friend John Michael Griffith which many of you probably remember. I recorded a show back in, Les- uh, back in Lexington, Kentucky, back in March. We talked about Malik Monk a whole lot, the very great Malik Monk, thinking there's no way the Hornets were ever going to actually draft that guy. Of course, now he's on the Hornets. So Joe Michael and I will be talking a lot about Malik Monk. Um, so I'm looking forward to that a lot, and think you guys will really like that segment. Joe Michael's just – he's a basketball nerd. Uh, he's a junkie just like Brian, Richie, and I, uh, and he's a huge Kentucky fan. So just stick around for that because that guy has a lot of Malik Monk knowledge. But I'm also pumped to be on with uh, with my great co-hosts, Richie and Brian. And it feels like it's been a little bit too little this summer. But again, we are in the dog days uh, here of, uh, of basketball. Don't forget that we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Please go check out almightyballer.com for other great shows spanning the vast landscape of the NBA. Everything you want is definitely there. Uh, I also want to take a second uh, today again, and we talked about this last episode, but Sports Channel 8. If you don't follow them on Twitter um, and you're a fan of sports, any sports, college sports, pro sports, literally anything, uh, the the soccer team that I can't remember, Brian, off the top of my head right now in Raleigh, these guys cover everything in the state of North Carolina when it comes to sports. I actually think they had some of the best coverage of the PGA Championship uh, in Charlotte last weekend. But again, if you're a sports fan in North Carolina, that Sports Channel 8 is a must-follow. Uh, they've got it all covered. 
Uh, it's where Busby got Brian Geisinger from. So uh, they get an extra brownie point for that. So it's sportschannel8.com, and you can also follow them on Twitter at sportschannel8. Not Don't spell out eight, literally the number. So at <laughs> sportschannel8. <laughs> okay, I'm done with my plugs, I, I think. I, I probably have some other ones that I should make, and I'm not going to because now I'm rambling. But Richie, you're prepping for the start of school in the past few weeks. Are you completely over that, and now you're just literally counting down to the days to October 18th? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I mean, yes, I'm prepping for school. The the, the kids come in about uh, a week and a half, a week from Monday, the 28th, uh, to be exact. But the issue is we've been having a lot of trainings and in-services that we've been having to go to, and so we haven't been able to actually prep our classroom. And that's kind of important because we're going to have open house uh, in about a week's time where we meet the parents and the kids. And if, if the if the room isn't presentable, it's going to be a problem. So it's been tough because we've been going to these trainings, which have been how I mean, I, I will say it, it's been boring. It's been boring. Uh, and it's the last thing that we want to do while we're prepping for school. But yes, I, I, I can't wait till October 18th. Not only is that my wife's birthday but uh it's actually the the beginning of the charlotte hornets season against the uh the pistons i would say i could take her out to the hornets game but that's not gonna be here in charlotte (laughs) um that's wow that's a really big day for you and and good luck trying to get your eyes on that hornets game that night (laughs) so i'm uh, i'm there with you in spirit (laughs) my friend all right brian guy singer you've been feeding your basketball appetite with some good really good ACC hoops writing I see here in the last few days on accsports.com. How's it going, my friend? And tell us a little bit about what you've been writing about in the last few weeks. Uh, things are good. Busy, busy summer. I'm getting prepped for a couple trips that I'm taking here in the, the next few weeks, which will be nice to get a little vacation before, certainly before uh, basketball season heats up a little bit. But uh, yeah, for ACC Sports, um, getting our basketball preview magazine ready to go, We're trying to finish all that stuff up in the next couple of weeks. And, um, you know, just doing my normal sort of uh, stat write-up pieces for the league, just trying to find uh, fun little trends, cool pieces, whatever. And it all goes up at the the ACC Analytics tab over at accsports.com. And then uh, also this week, over at Sports Channel 8, you can find this uh, Marvin Bagley. He's a top player in the nation. He reclassed into 2017. This guy's probably going to be a top two pick, you know, next June in the draft. And so I'm, I'm pumped that I'll get to cover him next year at June. But this week, this week on Sports Channel 8, or, or next season, I should say, but this week on Sports Channel 8, Ben Swain, uh, one of my, uh, one of my uh, co-workers over there at Sports Channel 8, he and I went back and forth just talking about how we thought Duke might use him next season, you know, how they were able to pull off landing this guy, how the rotation might look at work out for the Blue Devils, and you know why he wanted to get into the NBA uh, quickly and, and get to the draft this year as opposed to 2018. So... Uh, if you have any interest in checking out anything on Marvin Backley, go to sportschannel8.com, and you can find that there. So let's take this opportunity since it's such a downtime of year with the NBA. Um, and we got a few things to cover, as I mentioned earlier. But, Brian, I, I just want to get your quick thoughts on Bagley. Like, let's just take a few minutes to talk about him. Yeah. You've had a chance to watch him. You wrote about him. What is this kid all about? Um, do you do you truly believe is it, he's a top potential top pick in the NBA draft? When we talk about the summer of 2018, um, just tell us a little bit about his game. He's, uh, uh, he's, he's a phenomenal talent, obviously. Uh, I think even Jay Billis said yesterday he thought he would have been the top pick in the draft this year. 
uh, if he had actually come out in, in, in and had been a part of the uh, the 2017 draft, not the 2018 draft. Uh, 6'10", 6'11", guy can face up, uh, can protect the hoop a little bit, can handle, gets a lot of Chris Bosh and uh, Lamar Odom comparisons just because tall left-handed guys that can shoot or uh, or pass, uh, handle a little bit too. I don't think he quite has three-point range yet, but I'm sure that'll be only be a matter of time before that arrives. He's a big Durant fan, Kevin Durant fan, so I think there are some comparisons to that. I don't, I don't quite see the the Durant likeness as much as I do someone like like Bosch, really. But nice face-up game, can run the court. He's gonna, he's gonna be awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to to, to cover him this year when he, uh, when he's playing for Duke. I think it'll be. Uh, they have a tendency to get a lot of these sort of awesome stretch forward type guys, and uh, you know he's even bigger than guys like Tatum and, and Parker. And uh, maybe even little Brandon Ingram a little bit too. So I'm excited to see he and Wendell Carter in the front court for Duke this year. Those both those guys are basically locks to be lottery picks next year. I, I don't know. What do you do? You guys have a read on Bagley? I, I don't have much of one. Um, it, well, I really don't have one at all. I mean, I've watched a few YouTube clips, but that's about it. But I mean, he looks like a special talent. He's obviously a great athlete for his size. And looks like an NBA, you know, shoe and NBA athlete. But it, it, it will be interesting. You know, Duke Duke has really pivoted uh, with the way that they handle things here in the past three or four years. And it's it's crazy to watch. I mean, no, we're not we're not an ACC Hoops podcast. But, I mean, I wanted to I wanted you to say a little bit about Bagley because it is a guy that, crazy. I mean, in all likelihood, is going to play in the Eastern Conference probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, a, a year from now. Uh, so it's it's worth, you know, spending a few seconds to talk about here. But, uh, but yeah, Richie, seen, seen any of Bagley yet? Not seen a second of this kid. So you, you, yeah. when, when it comes March, you'd start talking to me about college prospects. No, have not seen a second of this guy. Um, I've heard the news, but I've not ever actually watched any YouTube highlights of this kid. Yeah. yeah. Do, do get a big weekend. He committed the night after – uh, Trey Jones, Tyus Jones' younger brother, who's in the 2018 class, he committed to Duke. I mean, and he's the number one point guard uh, in the 2018 class. Duke is uh, it, it's ridiculous. Like they're just they're Kentucky, man. Like they just the the guys they pull in. It, it's it's crazy. Um, the, every year the, the guys they get are it's just ridiculous. So uh, it's not the Duke like Spencer was alluding to. Not the Duke that uh, we grew up watching. But uh, it's a new day and age in Durham, man. That's for sure. Not the Duke of the old, man. My dad literally told me he grew up as a Duke fan. Literally told me this weekend. He was like, I, I don't even know. I don't know what I'm watching anymore. I was like, hey, it's not too late to convert to the Tony Bennett uh, discipleship. So, so come on over, man. <laughs> and, and I'll say this. We can get one last thing about ACC hoops here. I, I think Duke and Virginia, I think those are the two best teams uh, in the league. Miami's going to be awesome, too. But you I, know what? I think Duke and Virginia, I think those are the two, the top two teams next year. I, I'll say this, Brian. Yeah, so let, let's <laughs> talk a little ACC hoops for a second. Oh, um, gosh. I, it, no, just for a second, then we'll move on and get into Hornet stuff. But you know what? Hey, look, we bring other stuff. You know, that's what, that's what we, we do, do too. We we, do. We're, we're an NBA show, but, you know, we're also on Tobacco Road. So let's talk about it for a second. And, and, and you know, we're a good friend of Sports Channel 8, Richie. Isn't that right? <laughs> so right. Sports Channel 8, if you're going to be a good friend of them, you got to talk some ACC hoops. I mean, that's just kind of like a prerequisite. Brian, I'll say this. The ACC is as outside of Duke. And look, I would have said the same thing about the Jabari Parker team. And that team ended up being one of the biggest busts in Duke history, although they made the ACC final. But this year in the ACC is as parody uh, potentially stuffed as I can really remember the conference in a really, really long time. 
it, it's going to be wild. Uh, UNC is going to be good. They'll probably take a small step back, but they're still going to be really, really good. Louisville's going to be awesome, even though they lost Mitchell. And, you know, who knows what, what a team like NC State will look like. And actually, I know we have some Clemson listeners on the podcast. I actually think Clemson uh, might be kind of intriguing, too, with uh, with some of their guards and uh, with the big guy, Elijah Thomas, inside, too. So uh, the, the league is going to be fun. Even Jordan Tech might be might be decent if they can find the way to score the ball a little bit this year, too. And uh, it's good. It's going to be fun. But I, I can't wait to see. I think Duke and Virginia, I really do think those are going to be the, the top two teams with Louisville and Miami right there. And uh, it should be it should be a wild season. I don't know if the champion is going to come out of the, the ACC this year nationally, but uh, there's definitely a good chance that they don't beat up on one another too much. Oh, also Notre Dame is awesome too, so got to got to make sure they they get they get thrown into there as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I love your call about Virginia being a, they're very under the radar right now, but people don't know about D, uh, Jay Huff and DeAndre Hunter. Both of those guys are going to be big time difference makers, and nobody in the ACC knows about them. And, All right. And I think yeah. UVA has got the best defender in Wilkins, and I think they may have the yeah. best backcourt yeah. with with Guy and Jerome too. But I well, well, couldn't agree more. Wilkins acts as a true five rim protector in college basketball, and people will look at him at six eight and say he's not that, but he is. Uh, and that guy's got so much experience on him. All right. Anyways, there's your ACC feed. Uh, you can tune into Sports Channel Eight if you would like more of that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all, right. all right. Here we go. Uh, all right, Julian Stone. Let's talk about Julian Stone. It looks like the Hornets are locked in uh, to signing this guy. It's not official yet, as far as I can tell, unless right. anybody else has got extra word. But uh sounds like the first year is going to be fully guaranteed for Julian, uh, and then the second year will include a trigger date, uh, which means that the second year is non-guaranteed at a certain date. Richie, your thoughts on this signing? I mean, it's it's a guy at the end of the bench. I have some thoughts about what kind of player he is, right. but I mean, generally, what do you collect from this? About the signing itself, I mean, it's again, it's the third point guard. We talked about this before with Briante Weber about overanalyzing the third point guard. Uh, there's a reason this guy is not stuck around in the NBA for a while, Julian Stone, that is. And I, I like him as as a player. I think I, maybe I like the thought of him more than actually what he might produce at the NBA level. You know, Cho does like those bigger guards. He's 6'6", 200 pounds, uh, which allows him not only to play multiple positions, guard multiple positions. And from what I've seen of him, he's a and he's, he's an intriguing player. But again, he's a third point guard. So my, my initial thoughts are it's just the third point guard. He's not going to really see minutes. But I'm kind of intrigued by the, the, the thought of him uh, with, with his height and his, his willingness to pass the ball. I think that's uh, I think it's a really good breakdown of his game. Um what I see in Julian is that he is a guy who is the perfect orchestrator of an offense. Um, when you're a coach and you're trying to pick out a point guard who sets up the offense, knows how to run it, is good out of the pick and roll, and is is making plays for his teammates first and foremost. I mean, that, that's just how I see this guy. He's not a three-point shooter. He never will be a three-point shooter, never has been. He's not really a scorer in general. I mean, he can score around the basket. He has pretty good size, but this is a guy who's a willing passer. Mm-hmm. And I know Brian's mm-hmm. going to have a lot more on this, but um, and I, I can't wait to hear Brian's stats, actually. But you just watch the film, and you can, you can see why the Hornets put themselves through the trouble that they did uh, to fight for this guy to be on the back of the bench because, I mean— 
him playing next to Malik Monk like really actually excites me if we get to that point, um, yeah. which we, we hopefully will not. But that's that's exactly the thing is that the Hornets are literally a Kimber Walker in Kimber Walker injury away from being in a situation where they got to play potentially Julian Stone at the one, Michael Carter Williams at the two. Now you have two big guards handling the ball. Now you can throw Monk out there. Like he actually is the perfect fit. Uh, around a young player like Monk because he's such a great distributor of the ball. Um, but he's, you know, he's not a scorer. He's not a shooter. And that's what him and I would say Carter Williams kind of have in common to an extent. Uh, BG, give us some stats on this guy. Yeah, so like you guys said, uh, I'll just hit on this quickly here. Uh, a very much a willing passer and, and a guy that almost never shoots the ball. In fact, <laughs> I mean, this is only in 30, 33 games this year. But 33 games in the D-League this year had a usage rate under 13%, which is like way, way, way below average. And so that means on 12.8% of the possessions when he was on the court, he either shot the ball, got fouled shooting the ball, or turned it over. So that's, that's, a, that's a tiny number. It would have to and be even tinier for a guard, too, wouldn't you think? Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Especially a guy that has the ball a lot. Right. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is it's like this is one of the things that kind of made me kind of surprised is like, his turnover rate is pretty high. It had a turnover rate of 26%. So, and that's that's getting baked into the usage, usage percentage. Rate, yeah. So the guy just doesn't the guy just doesn't shoot the ball. Uh, but he had he had an assist rate a little under 33%. Uh, so that means, you know, he's assisting on one out of every three made field goals his teammates have when he's on the court. And this is a guy too that's just he's never scored he's never scored double figures. Like even go back to the days when he played for uh, Tim Floyd at UTEP. Even then, eight or nine points a game, including his, his final year at at, uh, at the school. He's certainly a big guard, and uh, which, as like Richie, like you said, show likes a lot. It's just it is it is kind of interesting. There were certainly some other kind of more like shooting oriented point guards that were in the free agent pool still that I that I thought Charlotte might might tempt Charlotte, like Isaiah Cannon, who I've talked about before on here before, uh, like Darren Williams, who is still 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 available too, but. Stone, I'm interested, and in, it's just funny to have him back in the league. I actually remember not really watching him when he played for Toronto, but when he was when he played those 20 or so games on the Raptors three, four years ago, I used to really, really like Terrence Ross a lot, the, the shooting guard for the Magic. I just thought Terrence Ross was going to be a star. And so I can remember watching Terrence Ross like highlights mixtapes on YouTube and being like, who's this guy wearing number 77 that I've yeah. never heard before standing, standing at the top of the key there? And now all of a sudden, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and you know he's the the third point guard that uh, the the Hornets just are are, are are on the brink of signing or whatever. So uh, it's funny to see him back in the league, and I'm curious to see too. This kind of will show a little bit, kind of what some of the Hornets scouts uh, have here. Uh, this is a guy, you know, a lot of a lot of far more well known commodities still available, including some guys like Ty Lawson that ended up going to China, mm-hmm. and. You know, we'll see. the 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 Hawks plucked a guy out of out of Europe last year, Malcolm Delaney. I played at at Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech guy. Yep. Yeah, and this season was he started off strong and then kind of cooled for them. So, but he obviously had a he started out as their number two point guard, and, and Stone's only going to bump up to there if there's something happens with uh, uh, Carter Williams or Kemba. But uh, you know, we'll see. 
We've been talking a lot about the third point guard uh, this summer. I feel like I joined at a time where it's like four out of the five podcasts where I've been a full-time guy. We've been just kicking the can on different third-string point guards. So uh, let's hope Stone's the answer and so we can actually talk about uh, some other more pertinent roster news uh, in the future. Right. Yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not a significant signing uh, until it is. And I, and I agree with you, Brian, that – and Richie. I mean, you both said this. It's – it's very fascinating. Chose, um, you know, his fascination, if you will, with the big mm-hmm. guard around Kimba Walker. It's, you know, it, it just it, it really worries me because if Kimba is to miss some significant time, yeah. knock on wood, you know, there is literally no one on this team that can get into the middle of a defense and create offense. I mean, there, there's literally no one. Um, it's going to be a pass around the perimeter, dump it into Dwight Howard, and then go to sleep and have your nightmare of your choice is basically going to be what this offense turns into. I mean, it, it just – outside of Kimba getting into the lane, like this roster is filled with a bunch of guys that cannot create offense. So that worries me, and, and that you know makes me think and kind of mimic what Brian just said. And the Norris Coles, you know, the uh, Ty Lawsons, guys that can at least use a ball screen – get into that painted area and create a little bit of panic for the defense. This roster has none of it. it Kim, if Kimba Walker right. suffers an injury, and that, and that is that is worrisome. But to that point, again, uh, Julian is certainly a guy uh, who is a willing passer. He, he is more than willing to run any offense you give him. Uh, he's going to set up his teammates. And, you know, I think it's hard to not like that kind of guy. Um, so, you know, I think he, Probably in the end of the day, if we ask him for minutes, he's going to fit pretty well in this roster, uh, and probably pretty well in just about any roster. He's probably an underrated player this at this point in his career. I just think it's odd that, like, considering his situation over in Europe, that we like tried so hard to get this guy. And again, it's not official yet. I feel like there was a lot of hurdles that we had to get to to sign this guy. So there must be something they see in this guy that they really like. Because again, we talked about the previous uh, previous episode about the other third point guards that we could have you know, approached, but I guess, I guess they see something in this guy. Um, and again, he's 28 years old, 28 years old. And it's not like he's an NBA veteran by any means, but he's, he's older. Yeah. It could could be a character thing too. I mean, you know, I know the Hornets are very, uh, you know, they're very cognizant and, um, and hypersensitive about finding players who are good locker room character guys as they should be. Um, you know, so it, it could have something to do with that too. I mean, you know, you hope that stone will come in here and do his job and, you know, obviously be a good guy in the locker room. The only other thing of note I would say with this is that Julian Stone brings the Hornets salary cap uh, to eight, just a, sh- just a shed over 18 million over the salary cap. So now they're about exactly, almost exactly 2 million, um, uh, almost about $2,000 difference here, 2 million under the luxury tax. So, they could comfortably fit another minimum salary for this upcoming season into their final roster spot that they have. The roster right now is at 16 with those two two ways with Matthew Yang and Page. Uh, so they actually still have one more roster spot that they can fill. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that goes to a training camp player or they just kind of ride out into the season, leave themselves the flexibility to maybe take a cheap contract back in a trade to help somebody, uh, although it'd have to be a minimum contract, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that last roster spot. So, so that's Julian Stone and we'll see what happens. Uh, on to the schedule, Richie, I'm going to throw it to you first. I want your positives, your negatives, and any things you found within the schedule 
that maybe uh, maybe surprised you? Well, it's funny you're throwing to me first. I actually haven't analyzed this this uh, schedule. I don't really put too much we'll stock. We'll talk to Brian. We'll, no, 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 we'll I mean, talk to Brian first. Okay. Well, I mean, it, my, my opinion ain't going to change, but go ahead, Brian. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, just a little bit. So a couple things. I saw this was some stuff I, I looked at and then some other stuff that uh, Matt Moore did a, did a good job pulling out over at uh, at, at CBS Sports too. But uh, the And he, he did this, and there was some other stuff that I, I grabbed from this uh, – site called procedural which uh, is really good for a lot of sports number stuff and they they did like pretty detailed calendars uh for every team in the league this year so the hornets are set to travel 41,196 miles uh this season um they have uh it, i think it's either is it 13 or 14 back-to-back games um i've counted it as 13 13 I, i've, I've okay. heard people tell me 14 i keep counting it over and over again unless i miss something i got it that's the hardest right. thing to do you don't even know if it's like 30 days in a month or 31 yeah it's it's tough uh, uh, so there's this one stretch and I, I know a few people have been talking about this a little bit but charlotte has a four game uh in six day trip in early february it's at phoenix at denver mm at Portland and at Utah. And like, I, I would bet the farm that they go, <laughs> they probably go at best two and two, and, but most likely one and one three, three. In, in that stretch. Although it seems kind of stu- silly to predict outcomes, however many months from now, uh, that features two back-to-backs. So Phoenix, Denver, back-to-back. And I think there's a, a, a night off and then it's uh, Portland, Utah, back-to-back. And they play Toronto two days after Utah, and they play Indiana two days before Phoenix. Both those games are in Charlotte. Uh, the rest are on the road. And that stretch is actually like right – it's like a week, week and a half right before the All-Star break, which I think is February 1st through the, the 21st, somewhere in that. The Hornets have a game on Valentine's Day, and then they're off for a week after that. So that's going to be a tough stretch, and it's one of those things, you know, you know, we think this, there's going to be a team that's going to be in the thick of, of kind of a watered-down Eastern Conference this year. But, you know, if maybe that stretch doesn't go well and, and they're kind of sitting on the, the fringe of playoff contention, you know, it would be, be curious to see if, if maybe what happens on that trip possibly sways what they do at the uh, the trade deadline. Because, again, it, it's it's less than two weeks. Or the All-Star break is right around then, and the deadline can't be, can't be much further. And then some other stuff, too. Ten of Charlotte's final 15 games are on the road. Which is uh, which, which is pretty brutal too. But uh, you know, hopefully they're not you know battling. You know that that might down the stretch that maybe sways the balance as opposed to if they host a first round playoff series or if they don't. So just uh, some stuff to keep an eye on. And then one last thing too, uh, Charlotte has a rest advantage in twenty games this year. Uh, that's right about in the middle. Six other teams have a have a rest advantage in twenty games, and I guess that's that equates to. They have at least one more day of rest right. than the, the opponent. And Charlotte has 14 games with a rest disadvantage. Now, that is actually the lowest in the league. Um, so I, I don't know, scheduling gods, you know, looking down happily on the uh, the Hornets or whatever algorithm Adam Silver and company are using uh, in New York to determine this. But, yeah, Hornets have uh, a rest disadvantage um, in, uh, in only 14 games this year, lowest in the league. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. it's interesting because I feel like Hornets always get gypped with the scheduling, with the back-to-backs and everything like that. We were always up towards the top of the league average 
Good thing is, is we're below the league average this year, and I like how we're starting the season earlier uh, in the month of October so that they could kind of spread these games out and that there's no actually there's no four games in five nights, which is great. So and it like Brian, to your point, it always seems like in February and March, they have a lot of away games. I mean, if my memory serves me correct, I feel like there's a lot of away games right before that all star break and their longest road stretch is actually at the end of February, February 28th, uh, all the way to March 21st. But the good thing about that, I'm looking at these games, and they don't look to be like difficult West Coast trips by any means. But it's Boston, Philadelphia, Toronto, and then we have three home games. Then we have New Orleans, Atlanta, Knicks, 76ers, Brooklyn. And those are all the those are the eight away games out of eleven, uh, and they don't seem to be that difficult. So if that's our longest road trip of the season, you should kind of feel good about that in terms of the teams that we're playing. But like Brian said, it's it's hard to analyze the schedule this far out in advance because we don't know where injuries are going to be or if there's going to be acquisitions made by other teams. Again, this is why I can't wait, like you said, Spencer, to to the beginning of the season because we analyze stuff that are so like hypothetical. And you'll have to wait less this year, too, because the league is starting earlier. <laughs> That's right. just, it's, crazy. it's crazy to see it starting so early this year. Like, as opposed to it being a day or two away from Halloween, it's, you know, mm-hmm. the middle of October now. It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, what you guys have said most of it, I, I think a few nuggets that are interesting. And I, I tell you what, Andy Moore did a really, really good job on Queen City Hoops. Andy Moore is a good writer for QueenCityHoops.com. He did a a nice job of breaking down the schedule the other day with a post he wrote up, but brought up a a few good points. 15 of Charlotte's 41 home games on Friday or Saturday night. So we know it's a tradition for Charlotte to petition the league, you know, to get those Friday and Saturday night home games, which is traditional for, you know, a small market team. They they get more fans. They attract more people into the stadium, into the arena. We get that. Uh, So that's an interesting nugget. But but on top of that, uh, 19 of the Hornets' 41 home games come before New Year's. So, yeah. which which tells me this, I mean, or, or anybody that has a brain is that this team has to get off to a fast start. Yes. And, yeah. and Brian, you, Brian, you brought it up. I mean, 10 of their last 15 are on the road. This team cannot afford to be 500 as we go into the all-star break. They have to be above 500, I think, mm-hmm. uh, unless they really, really catch fire in an unpredictable way here. They... And, and as you've kind of read stuff throughout the league and, and, and listened to the talking heads, I think people picked up on it that actually do talk about Charlotte is that you look at their schedule and it is front-loaded in a favorable way. They mm-hmm. need to get off to a good start. And if they don't, um, if they don't, and this is just kind of a side note, and we don't have to talk about it, but it's a side note, don't be surprised that Dwight Howard's on the trading block come deadline time. Yeah. Right. But – but hey, that's why we said this the night we had the like the the emergency podcast. This is one of the reasons, one of the advantages of trading for Dwight was that you had a, a contract that was going to expire uh, in 2019, and, and you could you could move it if you needed to. So it uh it's it, yep. it's possibility that's for sure. No doubt, but I mean that's the one. If I have to take one thing personally from mm-hmm. this schedule, it's just the fact that Charlotte needs to get off to a fast start. And if they don't, uh, I will be very interested to see how Rich Joe tries to save his job. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> good point. Uh, also, eight national television games. If you factor three, in the NBA three. game, 
I'm factoring in NBA TV. Oh my but gosh. I can, hey, I have NBA TV. Let's factor it in. Why not? <laughs> I'm throwing it in there. Just, just the more the merrier. You know, come on, get in here, NBA TV. It's party. Uh, but no, it's nice to see them have, have a, a couple, uh, a couple national TV games. Although I certainly don't mind watching Fox Sports South with Eric Collins, Stephanie Reddy, and, and Del Curry. That, that's a they're a solid. Team. And I'm looking forward to I actually last weekend I was back at Winston. I was walking my dog and this I must just be itching for hoops to start up. I just was just quoting Eric Collins the whole time. <laughs> I was just walking around looking like a crazy guy, just saying, How do you do? And so I just looking like a lunatic, which means I, I must be ready for uh for hoops to start because I got I got Eric Collins slogans on the mind right now. So uh we need the season to actually start. Brian's coming into form without with little repetition. I mean, that's impressive. That's just a natural, ready for the Hornets season, you know. And Eric Collins, if he doesn't inspire you, then I don't ever want to know you. Yeah, I, I like Eric Collins, but I hate his nickname for Kemba, Captain Courageous. I just think that's so lame. So lame. Uh, don't go tugging at that cape, Richie. All right. <laughs> that's I, was, right. I was trying to remember what he said. Does he describe Kemba's toughness? Is it? He's tougher than like a, a ten dollar haircut or a, a ten dollar steak. There's there's like one of those or both of those. They're like a two dollar steak or a two dollar haircut that he uses for Kemba all the time too. So uh, I, I was. For, are you for us or against us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, we'll be excited to have Eric Collins back back uh, back in my life soon enough here. All right, so it's closing upon us. Uh, really, the next thing is training camp, and as we. Just in a little uh, little segue here and a little uh, break in the action. As we get closer to training camp, Brian, Richie, and I uh, will have a full preview of the season coming for you guys. We're going to do some fun stuff. We're going to talk about each player, kind of our prediction for each mm-hmm. player, some crazy predictions in a positive way, some crazy predictions in a negative way. So we got some really, really, really fun stuff. I think everybody will enjoy kind of on the forefront here. So, and that, I mean, to be honest with you, God, training camp's not that far away. But, hey, but anyways. And I, and I wouldn't mind doing another live show. It doesn't have to be like five hours, but we can do another live show if you want to. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you enjoyed our Periscope show, uh, the draft show that we did that felt like uh, 100 hours, uh, I think it probably only, re- <laughs> it was only re- realistically about five. Uh, but uh, that's still a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it went well. I think yeah. some people enjoyed it. You know, people hopped in and out. We didn't have a, a massive following all at once, but uh, but we appreciate the people that hopped in, and I think we'll probably do another Periscope for kind of our uh, our big preview for the entire season, and we're, we're really going to try and knock it out of the park, so stay tuned for that. Um, all right, so that was kind of our own little advertisement. Let's move on to the last segment here of the show. Steve Clifford, Brian, made some pretty interesting comments on yeah. WFNZ yesterday with our good friend, Chris Kroger, a uh, friend of the show, mind you. Let's start with the Malik Monk comments that he made. Uh, I thought personally that he was pretty blunt about the uphill battle that Monk has, Brian. What did yeah. you take from some of the things he said? The the same thing, and I'll actually uh, – I got some stuff to get into, but I'll, I'll throw this back to you guys real quickly – after I felt like there were some words of encouragement in it, but did you guys like? I was like a little disturbed. Is is way too extreme, but it was like a little. I was like a little concerned, right? Like I didn't know the injury was that bad that it really had set him back so much this summer. I, I don't know. What did you guys? Do? I was a little concerned after actually after hearing that like kind of like 60 75 second cut of Clifford on with Kroger yeah, yeah definitely and I I didn't hear the full interview but he was he I think he used the word what significant injury 
I think that was the word they used. Um, no idea. The, significant sprain. Yeah. 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 I guess the issue is like you never know with Clifford. Like he doesn't play rookies to begin with, so you know his his minutes might have been limited if, if he was fully healthy. Um, yeah. But yeah, after hearing the words that, that on on the interview um, out of Clifford's mouth, it did make me a little bit uh, pessimistic about his chances, especially early on in the season, about getting in shape, in game shape, uh, and playing significant role. And we were all excited about drafting this kid, but. Uh, after listening to that, it kind of the excitement kind of went down a little bit. In, I don't. Yeah, I don't read. Spencer. Yeah, I, I don't read. Is I, I thought it was a little surprising when I first heard it, but knowing the fact that Clifford might be the most uh, transparent head coach in the entire NBA when it comes to media, uh, it doesn't bother me so much. I mean, I think he's just being honest. I mean, the kid had a sprain. It was a bad sprain. Um, and that's pretty much what he said. I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, I, like what else did I think that Malik Monk actually had in terms of an injury? I mean, I, nothing, I guess is, you, you know what I'm trying to say? I think Clifford just kind of told us the truth. Like, yeah. yes, he had a significant sprain. Yes. He's a rookie. Yes. He needs to be out there getting reps right now. And he's not. So yes, he has an uphill battle to climb when it comes to training camp. Like, I think he just actually told us exactly like it is, which the reason I'm not worried about what he says is because Clifford tells the truth. That's what he does. You know what I mean? And I agree. And that's why I like, that's why I like uh, Clifford. I, I mean, I, I, I trust him. And I, I think he's in, in, in the handful of times where I had to deal with him when I was working for a, a radio show and I'd have to book him or, or get him on the show, he and the Hornets media team were always awesome about that stuff and, and he was self-deprecating funny guy and just seemed like a genuinely good dude the 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 few brief moments of conversation i would have with him i guess one of the things that i find like a little a little concerning about it is is this team really really needs malik shooting badly um i i know there's there's this excitement factor with him where you want to sell jerseys you want to sell tickets you want to sell the hope that maybe this guy is a superstar whatever all that stuff but if you look at the bench right now Again, like around, like just looking at the healthy bench guys, who's the best shooter right now? It's Frank Kaminsky, and that's probably a little concerning, if not very, if, very concerning. Very if concerning. you really, yeah, yeah, if you really want to get in debate, I, I would debate with you that Marvin Williams has a has a well, you know renaissance him. here. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm talking, about, talking about bench guys. guys. Oh, okay. The, the starters, the starters with Marvin, Batum, and, and Kemba. Like I, I, I feel pretty good, even um. I'm gonna blank. I'm gonna always mispronounce this guy's last name, but uh, Nicholas uh, starts. It's like S. It's like S C whatever. But he does a he has a a site that does like a spacing. Oh yeah, yeah, C C I or yeah, yeah. yeah. He does great I, I apologize for butchering his name because he he's a great follow on Twitter and the site's cool too. That starting five has a pretty good gravity rating, and, and I'm not surprised by that because they have, I think what I think three above average shooters from deep, including a really really good one in Kemba. So, but it's it's specifically the bench guys. You lose Marco shooting, which was so important, yeah. and now and now the bench is Michael Carter Williams. It's Jeremy Lamb. It's Kem, It's Cody Zeller. It's Malik Monk, probably, and it's Frank Kaminsky. And uh, and at this point, you know, even for a stretch four, I, I think Frank is is at at best an, an average three point shooter. So, so and, and you know what, BG, you know, on that on that note, I think it kind of brings up an interesting. 
it, it brings up an interesting talking point. Let's kind of dive into real quick, and we'll talk about more of this in the, in the massive preview you know, of the season we're going to do. But I think that Travion Graham has the potential, the potential yeah. to to reach you know the best shooter off the bench. Now the difference is, you know, Frank Kaminsky is a guy who's going to be in a lot of pick and rolls. He's going to be in a lot of pick and pop situations. He's going to be in the corner a lot. He's going to be at the top a lot. You know, at the win, like he's going to find himself in a lot of different areas on the basketball court where Travion Graham really is not because he's not going to be in pick and roll situations. He's really going to be just a, a just a, a pure uh, nominal floor spacer, which is fine. But I think percentage wise, um, not volume wise, not but volume, percentage no. wise. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. percentage-wise, like I think Travion Graham, if what we've talked about actually manifests itself and him eating up a lot of those Jeremy Lamb minutes, I think he can become the best bench shooter that this team has. I agree, but I think, like you just talked about, he is not going to take a bad shot. He's he's pretty he's pretty heady player, so he won't have the high volume of shots that Kaminsky does. So Kaminsky might or probably will make more threes than, than Graham, um, depending on minutes or whatever. But Graham, you know, he does like to drive the ball as well and get into the lane. So he has that aspect of his game. Percentage-wise, I think Graham will definitely be higher than Kaminsky just because he's a smart player, and he's going to take the open threes, and, and he'll knock them down. Uh, but he also has an aspect of a game where he can get inside. But, yeah, Kaminsky does hang around that, that pick-and-pop area at the top of the key. So. Yeah, I was looking at. I don't know if you guys saw me. I I, I looked. I dug this stuff up last night. I, I tweeted it out uh, this morning. I honestly think if Frank Kaminsky could just take a step closer to the uh, to the like when he catches the ball on a pick and pop, he could just take a step closer. He that you might see that percentage go up a little bit. Uh, I looked at this last night. He shot forty one percent on three pointers inside of twenty five feet on hundred and thirty attempts. That's that's pretty darn good. But on attempts between twenty seven and thirty one feet. Six of forty-two for fourteen percent, and oh my God. This yeah, Lance Stevenson numbers. It's terrible, and and he took a lot of them. And Marvin Williams, he and Marvin Williams both took a hundred or three hundred and fifty-four threes last year, but Marvin only took twenty-one between twenty-seven and thirty-one feet, and Frank took twice that. He took forty-two in fewer minutes. Um, also, funny sort of side note: Frank Kaminsky had five attempts between fifty and seventy-eight feet from the hoop. <laughs> He had a 50 – they were all heaves. He wait, 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 wait. Say that again? He, Frank Kaminsky had five attempts between 50 and 78 feet from the hoop. <laughs> he had a 58 – he had a 50-footer, a 57-footer, a 62-footer, a 70-footer, and a 78-footer. Obviously, he missed all of them because he's not Steph Curry. But he's just clearly like Frank gets the grenade at the end of the quarter. Like it's, it's pretty obvious that like they're like, nah, you take it, man. And he's the one that has to chuck it up from uh, beyond half court. I thought that was – I thought that was really funny. No, you got this, man. Shit on your numbers. Here you go. Yeah, take a <laughs> shot. <laughs> so, uh, so I don't know. We'll see. I, I, you know, I think everyone in in Hornet Nation is hopeful that that Frank can take a step forward. But um, I think he, I think we're gonna get more of the same. But even if we could just get, even if he could just get to that, get to that thirty six, thirty seven and a half percent mark, man, it would it would change the geometry a little bit offensively for them. But um. Uh, that's maybe wishful thinking there too. Well, but but it is one of those things, Brian. And I think when you look at this team, and again, this is another thing that we'll, <laughs> we'll cover more in the massive preview. But when you look at this team from top to bottom, and you look at players that can make a big leap in the right direction, Frank's one of those guys. So I think it's I think it's absolutely worthy of talk. And if he does make that leap in shooting, it's absolutely going to 
of how de- defenses approach the Hornets. I mean, there's no question about it. And he'll get more minutes with like a natural rim run. Like he'll either be playing alongside Cody or Dwight every time he steps on the floor, unless we get some of these funkier small ball lineups or whatever, where he plays five or he and Marvin are the four and five, whatever. But it, you know, he won't have to split time with someone like Roy Hibber or Spencer Hawes this year or whatever too. So that'll be a, a guy at the hoop that's taken maybe taking some some pressure off him. But yeah, I mean, he's missing a lot. All of these shots are wide open too. Uh, 338 of his 354 three-point attempts, there wasn't a defender within four feet of him. So he's just got to like, take some shots, man. Like, just shots. Yeah, but, but five of those were he's, Brian. So. Right, too. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that, but, but even that number is just so hard to wrap your mind around. I mean, and I think really you look at how this guy shot the ball in college, like it's, it, it is a mental – obstacle that he's got to overcome right now i mean i i I, I truly believe that's what it is because you're getting that many open threes it's almost like you're too open yeah it's like damn these guys don't respect me they think i can't shoot it's like i don't know it's just hard not to think that that in his own mind he just thinks he's not getting the respect he deserves and shooting the ball and it's just eating him alive so he's got to get past that part of his game and if he does horns are going to change a little bit when it comes to guarding him um all right, let's get to this last part of the show here. We want to talk about Clifford's comments about Dwight Howard as well. They were much more positive, I would say, in a sense than uh, his comments about Malik Monk. Um, very, I'll, I'll just kind of preface it here, and then I'll throw it to you first, Richie, if you want to take it. But I, I thought that Clifford was – I mean, you know, let me, well, let me preface my preface with this. I think with Dwight Howard, any time he comes up in conversation now, if you're going to take his back, you got to – kind of go out of your way <laughs> to be uh to be positive about him and mm-hmm. i think clifford did that i think he brought up the fact that you know hey look i know him from the past he's always been a high iq player you know he's always worked hard when i've been around him you know blah 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 all these positive things but he did bring up two things that i thought were interesting he brought up the fact that he's in great shape that he's working really hard on his body uh this summer and he also brought up the fact that he basically said i thought that he's as motivated as he's seen him in quite a while or known him to be in a while. And he's very motivated to get back um, really to, to the best player he, he's been in his career this season. Uh, you've seen those kinds of things from Dwight Howard on social media, but to hear Clifford say that a very honest coach um, on a radio show right after he gets done saying, you know, I think Malik Monk's got a pretty big uphill battle coming. <laughs> That's I, a good point. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was a pretty good sign because uh, Clifford's not going to pull your chain. He's going to tell you how it is. So, Richie, where yeah. do you stand on Dwight Howard right now? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear those comments, but I mean, from everything that you're saying, I know that Clifford does have a relationship with Howard, so you, you almost have to take those with a grain of salt. But like you said, he's, he's, very, he's a very honest coach, and he just got through talking about Monk and how there might be some pessimism with his uphill battle and just kind of telling it how it is. But uh, I guess that's good news with, with Howard. And you've seen those videos of him like working out and, and getting in the best shape that, that, he, that he needs to be. So, yeah, I mean, th- this is going to be a year that he can uh, try to improve on from last year. But, again, there's always – always in the back of my mind and the back of fans mind like if something goes wrong and and he's not getting his way or if he's not getting his touches uh you always have to worry about the locker room but the good thing is is that Clifford does have the relationship with this guy and I'm sure he was one of the biggest guys in trying to get him over here to Charlotte uh and he's always kind of praised him for his high IQ and, and things of that nature so I do like that relationship with him but again in the back of my mind I have to see it in action 
uh, come December and January. I just hope that the locker room uh, is is good, is good with, with him in there. Uh, you you guys said basically everything that uh that uh that I, that I would I would want to put out there. I actually do think this this sort of I just think he needed to get out of Houston. I, I do think some of the the better vibes around Dwight started in Atlanta last year. I, I do think mm-hmm. the, the he's trending in the right direction then just watching enough Hawks games and, and just kept keeping up with Hawks media and stuff like that. It did seem to think like things actually went, went okay with him in, in the ATL last year. Everything Clifford said, all good. It just reinforces everything that I had already felt about uh, getting Dwight and what I thought he could do on the team and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not expecting him turning back into 2011 Dwight or anything like that. Secondly, if it doesn't work out, Guys, don't worry about it. We can still pop champagne because there's no more Plumley contract on the books. <laughs> so even at, the end of the, even at the end of the day, like if this doesn't work out, we're still we're still toasting. We're still popping bottles later tonight. Exactly. So, yeah. I don't care if Dwight Howard comes and takes a big <laughs> doo doo on mid floor before every single home game. We won that trade. It really, yeah. it literally yeah. doesn't matter what happens. Yep, it does not. Um, and so I, I just again, it, it is all it, every time we talk about Dwight especially if he's like underperforming a little bit, like we just got to remind ourselves we don't have the, the miles only contract anymore on the books. That's someone else's problem. And that's worth, that's worth celebrating small miracles every day, you guys. And uh, that's certainly one of them. It's pretty crazy. Like Nate Duncan said it best on the dunked on podcast. He was like, it's like the miles Plumley contract. Like once he got to Milwaukee, just came with like a get out of jail free card. Like every, like everyone just passed the worst contract in the entire effing league around for three different teams. Like how did how did that happen? Like that is that's really hard to do. But anyway, it, he's it, not, it, it's crazy. yeah. And Atlanta is just flooded with big, so he's not going to play there. I mean, they they drafted John Collins. They have Muscala. Um, who okay. else do they have, Brian? Uh, so they tr- so they, I guess Ilias Sov was gone now. He played a lot of minutes for them in the front this past year. Um, I guess got, they, they've I guess got one other big. Yeah, they got one other big. But he, I mean, the point is, he's not going to play there either. So it's like yeah. the, the more you actually like now that we're this far removed from this trade, I still don't understand for you know if for Atlanta. If they, could Dwight Howard have possibly been that bad for you guys that you took on the uh, – anyways, I, I mean, whatever. Again, that's that's a contract that if you're getting rid of, it, it feels like it's all, it would be a prerequisite. You'd have to have at least one pick attached, right? We thought and there was going to be a pick. We thought there was going to be a pick going like, their way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, a pick swap in the second round going to, <laughs> going to us yeah. in our favor that we wasted on cash. But. Yeah, yeah, well – it, it, again, all worth it to get off Plumley, but uh, it's just it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting seeing him uh, him in Atlanta this year. I'll tell you what, another deal that another like Milwaukee deal that they signed last summer. Like if they end up trading John Henson once, like I swear that Henson deal is gonna get kicked around to like a couple more teams too, because he's just he's on he's like entering him. year two. Yeah, I, I like I, I like John Henson too, but like he, where like was he at the end of the year? Like he couldn't even get PT for the Bucks. He was come, he was backing up Spencer Hawes, who was backing up uh, Thon McCord too. So there, there's uh, so many, you know, it's it's so funny because there's there's two UNC guys, John Henson and Ed Davis, both in the NBA, who are like the same player and yeah. have the same role on no matter what team they go to. Yeah. Like Davis is like trying to get minutes in Portland's front court, which is pretty much garbage behind. Nurses, or uh, yeah, yeah, nurses, and then you know, and then Henson. There's really no excuse he ha- he shouldn't get a lot of minutes in Milwaukee, but it, yeah, it, I don't. Brandon Wright does this in Memphis too. 
It's like all of the like the, the UNC lefties. like stud recruits they had at power forward the last decade or whatever. Like Mar Mar, it's amazing. Marvin came before all those guys, and he still after that has clearly the the biggest role currently in the NBA now. Even though he's <laughs> probably thirty one or close to thirty one, and all those guys are still probably twenty six and under, twenty seven and under. So it's crazy. So it'll be interesting. Um, I think Not we. Brandon Wright's probably closer to 29-30, but, but still, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and Wright just, God, poor guy, just struggled with injuries. And, yeah. you know, I just, he had, God, he had that one season, what, was two years ago? Two, was it two with seasons Dallas. ago? Dallas. Yeah, with mm-hmm. Dallas. I mean, I really, that was his that was his breakout was, year, and I really thought, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to turn into, like. The Rondo know. trade. It was the Rondo yeah. trade. It, it ruined Dallas. They still, like, haven't recovered from it two, two years later. It's crazy. And Memphis is is kind of stuck with with him now, but I don't know. Out of those three guys, Brian, I would say I still believe in. I think I still believe in him the most. And right, right. yeah, uh, yeah, healthy. I think yeah, so. When healthy, yeah, definitely. When healthy, yeah, I'm with that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think we've covered most of it. We're just kind of talking now, but um, we will be back. Uh, well, again, there, there's segment two of the show that's coming at you. John Michael Griffith, my good buddy from Lexington. Big-time Kentucky fan. He knows Malik Monk's game uh, better than any of us uh, that have been blabbering here tonight. So you won't want to miss segment two of this. Uh, Big-time Kentucky fan, big-time NBA guy, just basketball junkie, just like all we are. So... All right, welcome back. Uh, this is part two of episode 34 of BuzzBeat Radio. I'm here, as promised, uh, with good friend, Lexington, Kentucky native, John Michael Griffith. Um, I ask you guys to send in uh, your Malik Monk questions today. Any Kentucky-related questions you have, there'll probably be a lot of Malik Monk on this show, or this segment of the show. Uh, but we're also going to talk a little Steve Clifford. John Michael ran into Steve Clifford last weekend. What was it, last Saturday and Sunday? Uh, it was only uh, only Saturday. Okay, so you ran into Saturday. So you ran into him last Saturday at the PGA Championship at Quail Hollow. So a lot of fun stuff on this. If you stuck around for this part of the show, I think you enjoy it. Um, so on that note, let's start with Malik Monk. Um, we talked about it a little bit in the first part of the show. Clifford had some comments. Um, earlier in the week with Chris Kroger, a friend of the show, mind you, Chris Kroger from WFNZ, about Monk's uphill battle uh, from his ankle injury. Sounds like he's serious. I wanted to get the thoughts from John Michael. He watched Monk play every single game pretty much uh, in um, – I mean, you, you watch every second of Kentucky basketball, so you know this guy's game from, from top to bottom. But – when you hear this about his ankle injury and really where he fits into the, we were talking a little bit about it at dinner. And let's start here. We talked about how many minutes he would potentially play in his rookie season for the Hornets. And I know you have some opinions about how he could be kind of the the key to that four-out, one-in lineup with Dwight Howard in the middle. Absolutely. Um, but let's start with the injury. How does it... <clears throat> How does it put him behind kind of from day one with a coach like Clifford who we knows eh, doesn't dole out minutes to rookies in the first place? I mean, where do you stand with like where he is with the injury now and what he needs to do before the season starts to really earn earn some serious minutes? I think that, um, you know, first of all, let me say it's good to be back on. Uh, love, love Buzzbeat. Love listening to Spencer and Richie. You know, quality class podcast. And Brian. Brian's new. And Brian. Brian absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely, you know. It's just it's fun to uh, fun to listen. A lot of good Hornets info flowing here, but 
Uh, let me not stray too far from the topic at hand here. You know, it's definitely the ankle injury is a little more severe than we initially thought, I believe. And, you know, it's it's obviously a little bit severe if the guy gets held out of summer league because yeah. that, that's the place to showcase, you know, coming in as a rookie. There's always that concern with summer league. You know, it's intriguing, like, thinking about guys being out there and giving 100% yeah. and potentially getting injured. But then you also have a case, you know, for, for every cautionary tale of, of somebody potentially getting hurt, you have a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. who who goes out there and, you know, really shows what he's about. I mean, the NBA is very excited about this guy right now yeah. because of what he was able to accomplish in summer league. I mean, he's out there, you know, doing very exciting things. So it's it's interesting. But, uh, you know, the month thing, it's definitely going to set him back. Obviously, in a Clifford system, you got a guy who's – he needs that summer. Like, if you're getting drafted by the Hornets, you need that summer to get ready, especially on the defensive end, because Clifford is not going to play you if if you're not there defensively. Yeah. You know, we've seen this yeah. time and time again. And Monk, you know, even at Kentucky, I mean, he still has his defensive pitfalls. He's got a long way to go defensively. But that's the most interesting thing about this injury to me is how far behind he is defensively and, and where that's going to affect his minutes as a rookie. Yeah. Because offensively, we know what he brings to the table, but if you're lost out there in Clifford's system, especially since we've added a rim protector yeah. in, in Dwight, you know, it, it adds a whole different different dynamic. Do I think he'll be ready to play? Yes. Do I think he'll get all the minutes that, that he would maybe receive if he had been healthy for a full summer? No, I don't. Well, <clears throat> for some of the listeners that maybe, you know, I think we've all tried to study Monk's game as closely as can, but not... Well, no one has seen as much as Monk's game, probably as you have. Maybe a few out there, but but you you've seen a lot of it. If you can name one thing that like every Hornets fan should be just fucking psyched about when you talk about watching Malik Monk play basketball, what would you tell a Hornets fan that should just be? this guy's ability to create, create whether that's coming off a coming off a screen and catching the ball in triple threat. And, and making a move coming off a screen and shooting or in transition, he just has a knack to score the basketball. As cliche as that sounds, that's what you're going to be excited about, and that's kind of what the Hornets have lacked a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there's not really one area specifically, you know, offensively that I can say this is, I mean, obviously him shooting the ball, but his game really is so much more dynamic than just a three-point line. Trust me when I tell you this. Yeah. You're going to be pleasantly surprised at at what he can do off the ball, you know, getting open, and then once he receives the ball, it's not just all about shooting. For he's going to be able to create a little bit. So here's a little known blurb about Monk. Uh, he actually was on that Kentucky team last year. He he was third on the team in assists. And I don't think many people would necessarily, you know, think that he was that high up on the list because they just saw him as a shooter. And he had his fair share of, you know, three-pointers and, and points you know, in transition and attacking the basket and whatever, but he can create. He's going to be a guy who, once he gets comfortable in the NBA, he's going to be able to facilitate a little bit. And when he gets real comfortable in the Hornets' offense, you know, if you put a little shoot, some shooters around him, it's it's going to be interesting to see. He's a guy who's capable of making really good decisions passing the basketball, and I think that is what's going to surprise Hornets fans the most. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I know Brian Geisinger, co-host of. Buzzbeat and, and Richie um, actually were they threw these numbers at me from Synergy a few weeks ago. Just him out of the pick and roll, John Michael. Like like Synergy tells you he's in 
Damn, I don't have him right in front of me right now. I wish I did. But he's in the 70-something percentile in all of college basketball last year when it comes to being the ball handler in pick-and-roll situations. Now, yeah. the volume, I mean, like, he, the sample size of him being the, you know, the ball handler in pick-and-roll situations wasn't very large, but no. the percentile he stands in and his efficiency was pretty impressive. And I think it's one of the things that, that any scout uh, GM really should have looked at closely. And it brings up really with the Hornets specifically – I think a conversation that Brian, Richie, and I have had a lot, and I want your thoughts on it, is with the Hornets, and, and we talked about it in the first part of the show, um, if Kemba Walker goes down with injury, like Michael Carter-Williams, Julian Stone, like those those guys are both like 6'5 guards who are not explosive and beating their man off the dribble, like sure. can really create very little offense. Like let's say Kemba Walker, I mean, knock on wood, suffers an injury. I'm not twice. You know what I mean? So, and Monk's going to have to inherit some of the ball handling duties, whether or not he's ready. And would would you see that as a good thing for him in his early, the early stages of his NBA career? Or would you see that as almost a detriment because he's just not ready? Because if a Campbell Walker injury happens, Monk just might inherit some of that. Let me, let me preface that question like this. Short term for both the Charlotte Hornets and Malik Monk, that is not an ideal scenario. Yeah, and this no, is short-term. No doubt about because that. Because anybody, even if you're a bona fide point guard coming out of college, the transition to the NBA is a whole different ballgame. Mm. Night in and night out, you're going against probably the, sh- I mean, one of the strongest positions that the league has to offer in point guard. I mean, so it's obviously going to be a transition. In short-term, that would not be ideal for Charlotte or Malik. However, long-term, if that is the scenario and that is the case and that occurs – it's going to be beneficial to both the Hornets and Monk because he is capable of handling some of those duties just as far as handling the ball and holding his own. You know, he's he's very capable of, of doing that. And like I just said, he's a better facilitator than people think. Uh, I mean, last year at Kentucky, you know, he had 87 assists in his freshman year. That's not shabby. 87 assists in, what, 30 games-ish? Yeah. You know, so, so, I mean, that's yeah. not – Horrible. No, it's not. And so obviously, he had some good teammates. You know, for a guy who's running off down screens and exactly and stuff like that. Exactly. You know, like he so he's that. not some stranger to yeah. making the correct pass. He knows when the defense is coming at him mm-hmm. because he draws a certain amount of pressure with his ability to shoot the basketball that he can dish off. And he knows when. And and Bam Adebayo reaped those benefits a few times last year. There were actually a number of really good lob passes rim runs by Adebayo and what do we want Dwight Howard to do rim run we could see some of that in Charlotte mm-hmm. early if Malik yeah. Monk you know knows what he's doing uh catching a ball off a screen so short term just to answer your question short term it's not ideal for the Hornets or Malik Monk long term even though there would be some bumps along that road it's something that is absolutely a scenario that would be in play just trust me when I say he's a much better facilitator than we probably or the national media, you know, have spoken about or talked about. It's it, it it's something that really could help the Hornets as the season goes along. You know, it's interesting because the more I think about like where he fits best in the lineup, and I think it's obvious, like he'll come off the bench, right? To, to Absolutely, begin the especially missing this summer, and you're right. talking about a Clifford guy. I mean, all. Fingers are pointing to him coming off the bench at this point, and that's perfectly fine because that's yeah. what he needs. You miss a summer with Clifford, and, you, and you're expecting to start, you're out of your mind. And you expect to start and do well, you're even more out of your mind. So I think he'll be fine with that. It'll be good for the Hornets short term. But uh, we'll get into this a little bit later, but there's a few lineups that are super intriguing to yeah. me. 
Well, so. I actually want to like that's what I was getting ready to ask I mean, you about it's... and touch on is that you know who is I'm going to ask you this we didn't talk about this earlier, um, but who's who's one of the more underrated screen setters in the entire NBA that's been a member of the Hornets roster for a number of years now I guess three four years I don't know I should know off the top of my head but I don't um, awesome screen setter one of the top you know definitely in the high percentile of screen assist every single season Cody Zeller. Oh, Cody Zeller. So okay. all of a sudden, now listen. Now that's listen. actually oh, very. Oh, oh, oh. That's actually very true. So all of a sudden, Dwight Howard's penciled into the starting lineup. All of a sudden, I think that with Michael Carter Williams, Cody Zeller goes from setting less ball screens and more off ball screens. And Malik Monk, which is what you're alluding to, exactly. is really good at reading those actions off floppy actions off down screens. And Cody Zeller, already a great screener, already a good roller to the rim. Monk Zeller off ball screen action. Is, sure. that, is that a uh, is that something we can start talking about? Absolutely. You're talking about quick offense, quick hitters, one, two, three pass assists. Yep. Um, early offense though. Early offense, very early, and that's coming off the ball. That's not necessarily meaning you know that takes pressure off Michael Michael Carter Williams to and Kimba to create the assist themselves, right? Right. Because. I mean, today's NBA, it's not your dad's, granddad's NBA. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts to offenses. And the less burden that the point guard has directly on them to yep. facilitate that and have to break down their man every time is uh, is something big. So if you have a guy who's capable of coming coming off of that or, you know, catching something and creating, it, it adds more flow to the offense. It takes less burden off of your quote-unquote facilitator. That's just whoever that is. And the Hornets don't necessarily have, like, I mean, I love Kimball Walker to death, don't get me wrong, but, like, and there aren't many of these guys left. It's definitely a dying thing in the NBA, but, like, Mm. just that facilitator point guard, it's it's rare. So you need to kind of be more fluent as an offense and figure that out. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. I like that you that you added that because Monk is no stranger to coming off of a screen and you know figuring out what to do with the ball quickly. If it's one thing that Calipari, you know, etched in him at Kentucky, it, w- it was a lot of that. We don't ideally in a Kentucky offense the ball's not sticking much in any right. offense. But you know that's one thing that we definitely tried to do last year. Monk is no stranger to that. I'll leave it at that. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I just, I, I imagine in my head that Michael Carter-Williams and Malik Monk and Cody Zeller, those three guys will specifically probably have to play a lot of minutes together next year. You know, God willing, health plays out the way that it, that it should. But sure. again, to my point, like Michael Carter-Williams, not a pick and roll like savant. So like Monk coming off that pin down or off that flop, floppy exactly. action and listen and Zella rolling to the rim on a pin down right Zella rolling to the rim uh, requiring that that weak side help now here's what gets me really excited is that when Monk if Monk and I think probably close to getting it back to the second side like Michael sure. Carter Williams is a dangerous second side slasher yeah so like making absolutely. that initial pass Monk coming off that initial at floppy action sure. reading the help like absolutely. Carter Williams guys digging in now you flip it back to the Boom. second side and Carter Williams is in the Let's lane go. and now Monk's flying back out and, and, off a of flare screen and, like that kind of stuff is exciting and, and how many dribbles should it take Michael Carter Williams to get to the rim off that one I mean, I mean, with yeah. that type of... I mean, 6'5", like... Sure. Yeah, exactly. Link, yeah. whatever. And then and that guy know, still has a first step this day. And then you're drawing more defense. They're trying to recover. You got Zeller rim running off that. Now, who's the four? And then you got weak side. You got Monk yeah. spacing back out after that. Who can shoot? So right. Michael Carter, all of a sudden, he has options. He can hit, 
you know, Zeller on a rim run. He can take it himself, or he can kick it back out to the other side after the defense has tried to recover. You know, and, and you got Jeremy Lamb, and they're just hanging out somewhere on the floor. You know what I absolutely <laughs> And then you got to figure yeah. out who your four is in that Okay, lineup, that's but, fair. But you know yeah. what I absolutely love about what you just said is, man, I mean, you see it time and time again in the NBA. I mean, second units are no joke. They win or lose basketball games for teams. Look at the Hornets a year before last exactly. year. Exactly. I mean, it was it, it was the depth exactly. of the second units. So you know what I'm like pseudo-fantasizing about at the moment? What you just said. Oh, wow. The action you just said. And, and take, for instance, if you're in a tight game with Washington, okay, mm. whose second unit is less than desirable. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then you come in and you have these kind of things happening or these type of guys on the floor, and you can make up ground. That's right. Without John Wall or Bradley Bill in the basketball game? Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that is like – that's the kind of stuff that is the difference between a five seed and a seven seed. It's interesting. And it really is. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you wonder – I mean, it goes back to our initial, initial conversation. You know, we're talking like X's and O's right now. Sure. You just wonder – Number one, how ready is Malik Monk to take on, you know, a role where he really is, like, him coming off the screen yeah. is really initiating higher. He's, you know, he's the key to the offense yeah. on that second unit. And number two, obviously, how healthy will he be? That's all remain to be seen. Um, but if, if I ask you this, go ahead. You, you were going to say Well, something. I just, I think the health is, obviously it's a concern, but, but I think it's more of a cautionary thing because, you know, it's okay to sit a guy for summer league to make sure he's all right. Yeah. It's okay to not play summer league in order to make sure the ankle's where it needs to be. Obviously, there were some question marks, or I'm sure that he would have played. But if you put a gun to my head, I'm going to tell you I think he would have played in summer yeah. league. Right. But was it the right decision to hold him out and get everything ready, even if that means he's a little behind on defense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because yeah. you're always looking towards the future. If yeah. his ankles say 80 85%, and you go out in summer league and you twist it again, mm -hmm. then what have you done to yourself? Yeah. Offer summer league, not trying to take anything away from that. It's great from a development standpoint. And it's good to see who you're looking at to fill out a roster. But if you draft a guy like Malik Monk and he falls to you, he's not scrambling to make a spot. Right. He's scrambling to make a statement yeah. when the season's and, and for the people that might be freaking out I think out he's going to be okay. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you there. And for the people that are freaking out about Clifford's comments, I mean, look, Clifford wants young guys. Yeah, it's tied at three. Sorry, we're watching the Yankees and Red Sox game <laughs> so, in the background. But, uh, no, for, for, for the people out there that are freaking out, potentially about Clifford's comments, I, I wouldn't freak out too much. And we talked about it a little bit in the first segment of the show, but Clifford wants young guys to earn their keep. And it's just who he is. Um, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's it's who he is. you got to understand that about Steve Clifford. Um, I don't care if the Hornets had the number one pick in the draft and we got Mark Fultz or, you know, whatever. Name your number one pick. Like, he would pretty much say the same thing in my opinion. That's just kind of coach he is, so... I'm not really too worried about that. I would like to see Malik Monk get a few more reps than he has so far, but whatever. As long as he's ready by training camp, I think everything is going to be good and well. Um, what else do we want to talk about here? Uh, one thing we could delve into a little bit. So we've already touched on the health of Malik Monk, right? Yeah. And so now maybe let's talk about we get into the season a little bit, things start flowing. I'm going to ask you a question here. Oh, okay. I don't think we've talked about this yet, so... Hornets Nation, I'm putting him on the spot here a little bit. Um, in your mind, mm -hmm. offensively, if if Clifford can get everybody together, you know, on that page defensively where they need to be, mm -hmm. to where he feels comfortable putting multiple lineups on the floor. Right. And he so like any combination of guys he's gonna throw out there, he knows they're on the same page to fit, right? Right. Let's just 
hypothetically speak about that for a second. Offensively, what lineup do you see well, I know being you the have, most yeah. beneficial? Yeah, I know you have an opinion on this. Um, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, I think the lineup you came up with earlier is probably the one I would go with. Um, which it's, is, it's something I've thought about extensively, and, and I get yeah. giddy. I get giddy sometimes thinking about this. Yeah, you didn't put me on the spot about it, but I heard you say it, and as you as you said it, it's, it's pretty okay. much what I. I, what I haven't I, heard your response. Yeah, yet. yeah, right. But it, it, that's what you I'm haven't. Thinking. But it, it pretty much is what I pictured in my mind for the most part. I mean, I think Kimball one obviously. Yeah. Uh, Batum and two. Um, you know, I think or you know, Monk and two, Batum and two, whatever. Yeah. Those two are interchangeable. Sure. Um, I like I like Batum more at three. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Just you know, for guarding it, opposing three. Yeah, like right, right. Defensive purposes, sure. That's like, you fine. Want, I, yeah. I understand. It, offensively, in the scheme, they're interchangeable. Right. And then I think you're That's right. Fine. I mean, I think it is Marvin at four, I think. But I, I will actually... Cody's interesting there. No, I don't, I don't think it's Cody that's interesting. I actually think that Frank is the guy that a lot of people are forgetting about. And I think when you have a guy like Dwight Howard in the middle, yeah. it allows Frank Kaminsky to just suck a little, just suck how he sucks on defense and it'd yeah. be a little bit more okay. Um, you know what I mean? I like, mean, it, it helps. Offensively, we have seen, albeit a small sample size, he is capable of yeah. creating offense, especially if you have other, other guys around him. Now, I would only go with Frank in that lineup. Like, with a gun to my head right this second, yeah. I agree with you. I go with Marvin there. Yeah, me too. But, if, and I do think there is a universe in which Frank Kaminsky could break out shooting the ball this season. Um, no, I don't really know there why. Is. We've I seen think games. That, yeah, I think Dwight Howard helps that. I think it helps in the, the lineup combinations you're talking about. But to answer your question, it's yeah. Kemba to me. It's okay. Kemba, Monk, Batum, Marvin, Dwight. Um, Boom. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the Frank Marvin thing is debatable, and I would tell it you is. that a lot of people listening, the Cody Dwight thing is debatable, just because Cody is such a good. Absolutely, and you get Cody. I mean, you know, you talk about just a little more space. I mean, nobody's expecting Dwight Howard to to do anything that's not around the basket, right? And that's fair because that's been mostly his career. I was listening to NBA XM today; they touched on this. It's, I mean, early on in his career. You know, he made his name overpowering people, being more athletic. You know, that doesn't necessarily always transition into being a good player as you age. No doubt. That's one of the things I most respect about Patrick Ewing is if you watch what he was at Georgetown and then mm-hmm. later on on the Knicks, he figured out a way to stay relevant in mm-hmm. the NBA. He worked on his game. And not that Dwight hasn't done that. He's He's gone with Hakeem. You know, he's done things. He's... He's tried to develop a more finesse game. It just hasn't necessarily worked out for him the way that he would have wanted. But Dwight is what he is, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. He is what he is. He's not going to give you much outside of the rim. No, I, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. And that's fine because that's yeah. exactly what we need on defense right now. Yeah. And if you have four guys around him in Kimba, Malik, Nicholas Batum, yeah. and Marvin Williams, who can shoot the basketball, okay. I, look, I agree with you, and staying on the Dwight thing for a second, I mean, I wrote a piece about Dwight on Queen City Hoops about a month ago, somewhere around that that um, that time frame, and I, writing that piece, I could not believe how many isolation, isolation touches he got in Atlanta last season. It was really, truly mind-boggling to me. Um, I yeah. guess I shouldn't be that surprised, because that's just what Dwight expects, like he's... 
and yeah. to an extent, like, even reading the Adrian uh, Wojnarowski piece today on ESPN, which I thought was really well done, it had some awesome quotes great, in it. It's a great piece. Go check it out. It, yeah, it's a good piece, you know? Like, Clifford had great things to say. Clifford's all on board with this Dwight experiment, obviously, and, and Dwight had a lot of... I would say interesting things to say. A lot of blame he doled out, which is kind of his deal. You know, that's what he likes to do. But, like, he, again, so many isolation touches in Atlanta last season. Um, And it's just not his game. Like, he's not the kind of guy who's going to catch the ball and just, like, go eat defenders up around the basket and just, like, crush offenses. I mean, he has to be – and I know his knees have a lot of mileage on him, but the Hornets and Steve Clifford – are going to have a really, really tough job figuring out his diet of how often he's screen, setting ball screens and rolling to the rim and drawing some gravity around four Absolutely. guys and going to shoot the ball, and then how often you're giving him the ball around the block and you know hopefully demanding a second defender and just kind of letting Dwight do Dwight. Um, if Steve Clifford can manage that, God almighty, I, I really give him a lot of credit, but that's going to be tough. It's absolutely going to be tough. And let me just interject for one second and say, how amazing it is to me that just with this acquisition, like today, there were NBA heads talking about the piece on Dwight Howard. So the Hornets were relevant nationally today. That's true. Let me just repeat that. The Hornets were that relevant was always part of that nationally yeah. today. That was always part of that. That to me in itself is yeah. really fantastic. And I'm yeah. not going to harp on that much, but I really... But yeah, it, really yeah. like that. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I I think that's fair. I think that was always a, a part of the acquisition, just like a part of the Jeremy Lin. <laughs> Although we got him at a great price, was you know it you was. knew you, you you're entering a new market. You know the Hornets brand gets out there sure. a little bit more. I mean that's part of the deal with Dwight. The Jeremy Lin thing ended up working out. Yeah, but uh, Dwight carries. Uh, you know, forty-seven million dollars ish over the next two years on his contract. Yeah. So this is a little bit more riskier, but it is. Um, but I love. It doesn't yeah. diminish the fact that I like what we did in the offseason because when we just sat there and broke down our fantasy lineup, yeah, of that five, two of those five were not even in the conversation last year because they were not Charlotte Hornets. So look yeah, what we sure. did in the offseason. You know, you have three guys that are still there. You add those two. And just Looking, the fact that it makes this possible, I love the direction. It was brilliant by I Rich Cho. Rich Cho I'm a cynic. I'm a yeah. cynic by nature, but I'm not going to be cynical about this. Yeah. Because you know what? It lit my fuse. I'm excited. No, Rich Cho did such such a phenomenal job this offseason. I mean, he had Compared the to the rest of the East? He had the worst contract in the entire NBA, Miles Plumlee. And he somehow, I mean, come on. He somehow convinced the Hawks. The Hawks were so desperate Absolutely. to get off Dwight Howard, which is obviously a red flag. But they were so desperate that they were willing to take the, the worst contract in the NBA yeah. for more years than yeah. Dwight Howard has on his. That's, yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's like hard to wrap your mind around and certainly brings up concerns because if they were that desperate to get off this guy, then like, it does bring what up are concerns. we really dealing with? But yeah, Steve Clifford, right? Especially the Steve Clifford, Dwight, Dwight Howard reconnection. Like, let's just keep pushing it down the road and make an optimism right? out of it. Right? And that brings me to an interesting point. Let me yeah. ask you a question here. No. We obviously have a certain amount of trust in Clifford. Mm-hmm. We're Clifford guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sure, some of that was about making a splash in the offseason. Sure. There's a certain amount of actual trust that Clifford had to have in this in order to greenlight this. I really yeah. believe that he's all in on this. Well, no, I, I agree. I think Clifford is all in on this. I, I don't. I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I also think there's a component of all this that Rich Joe 
um, gets extended for one more year. Sure. So he his back is literally up against the wall. Like, so he had to do... When he was taxed out... When you're in Charlotte, you live against the wall. Well, yes. But at the same time, Rich Joe's had a while to get this thing right. No. I think he's done a nice job. Don't get me wrong. But he was taxed out salary cap-wise. He had the 11th pick in the draft, okay? Sure. And really, the mid-level exception, the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception, that's all he had to spend this summer. And somehow, he came out of it with... Dwight Howard, Malik Monk, and Michael Carter Williams. But not only that, he got off the the shittiest contract in the entire NBA. Like, there's a reason that the, Rich Cho doing Rich Cho things. You know, there's a reason that that a lot of the quote unquote experts out there are giving the Hornets an A this offseason. I mean, that is phenomenal work. Oh, now deserve- it doesn't mean it will save his job though. If the Hornets win 35 games this year, to 40 games. He probably loses his job anyways. Here's the problem. And it doesn't mean he's a bad GM. It just means, like, that's where the Hornets are right now. They they need to win. Michael Jordan wants to win now. Here is your gift, and here is your curse. Presented to you by basically every other GM in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the offseason was... We don't need to go into detail about this. It was what it was. The Hornets now have an opportunity to exceed expectations seed-wise playoffs yeah okay and you know with that opportunity comes great expectation so here i'm gonna i'm gonna parlay this into a question best 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 case scenario okay everything we've talked about works dwight gets the rim run down malik transitions yeah where do you see the charlotte hornets playoff seed wise Mm -hmm. best case scenario because um, I have a number in mind. Yeah. And actually threw this out. I called into NBA XM Radio today, and I talked to the guys. There you go. And they did not seem to agree with me, <laughs> to put it lightly. Yeah. Well, shocker. Shocker. Yeah. Um, I My best, and we're going to, by the way, I think we said it in the first part of the show, but Richie, Brian, and I will do a, a full... Um, Probably gonna go on Periscope and do this, but a full preview of the upcoming season and, and tackle every single uh, aspect of this team. But I will give you my answer right now, and okay. I'm actually on record saying this. I think okay. the Hornets can. I think their ceiling's 50 win. Um, I which think they, which translates to what seed? In the East. Oh, that's right, because you won the seed. Absolutely, uh, I do. I think that. There's no jumping Cleveland. There's no jumping Boston. Absolutely. And after that, I would say that um, yeah. After that, I would say the Hornets can do it. I think they can. Wow. Like I, I think three? they can get the three. I think you know if everything falls right, which I think is what you're kind of asking me. Okay. I, I would. But, That's fair. but you know what? I I, I kind of retract that. I, I think four is the best they can do. I still think Toronto's getting disrespected this off season. Um. Yeah, I think four is probably the best they can do. Okay, let me. Uh, Where do you stand? Let me let me tackle this real quick. Obviously, depending on what LeBron wants to come out, you know, if he wants to come out and be LeBron for the entire season, they can be the one seed. But for now, we'll just interchange Boston and Cleveland. That we mm-hmm. take your pick. Um, Boston obviously got stronger, and the future only looks better for them. If LeBron's LeBron. They can be the one if they want. That's one and two. Everybody knows that. We don't need to talk. I think three is a little more set in stone than Spencer thinks or the guys on uh, XM today thought. Um, I think three belongs to Washington. Still do. I, I mean, they took Boston to the brink last year. Yeah, they just didn't get better. They didn't um, get better to me. That's fine. Yeah. 
I understand that. No, I mean, I understand However, there's you know there's yeah. still some potential yeah. moves to be made there sure. up until the trade deadline. Whatever. I mean, John Wall's really taking a lead. But they don't have anything to trade anymore. That's yeah. Like, that's, they, they, they've, they've traded their from picks. That's they true as well. But even years. even you know even still they've yeah. they've managed to to have good success in the regular season and playoffs with what they have. Yeah. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Uh, so I caught an XM today and these guys threw a name at me that was pretty much set in stone at three and. They said Milwaukee was going to be three. Yeah. I, I'm not buying into that hype at the moment, so let me just finish with this. I think one, two, and three are set in stone. Call me crazy. I love Washington. You know, Bill's hard to overcome. And anyways, my ceiling for the Hornets, best-case scenario, I think they can take that four spot. And I'll be disappointed if it's anything less than six, to be honest, but I think four can be right there. I'm not as firm on Milwaukee as some people are. I'm probably more firm in Milwaukee than, than I am Washington. Washington. That's yeah. fine. I just I don't yeah. I don't wanna, That's just I don't me. see it. It's dependent upon a lot of variables. Obviously, yeah. Brogdon's going to take that next step next year, and you got Giannis, who's only getting better and better. But I have some health concerns um, with Jabari and different Milwaukee. Things. Yeah. So that would be my thing with Washington. Just cause, no, like, that's that's fair. If Beal or Wall miss any time, like, oh, absolutely, they're dead. Yeah. Oh you know? no, for sure. So I mean, obviously, health. Can play a factor in anybody's seating. Sure, but I just but I just think that like Washington a healthy Beal. Let's just I, I feel that a healthy Washington is a three C. No, I, I agree. I, I don't so, disagree with that. I would. Know, probably, they got Otto, and it's just. Anyways, I yeah. think the most realistic spot for Charlotte after talking about everything we just talked about, I think it is six. I think like that. Sure, would I think be that's the most a realistic. solid. Yeah. Solid play. But I'm even gonna. I'm just gonna. Say, I might have to go with five there. I think they're better than Milwaukee with what they did. For I do not think they're better than Milwaukee. Don't I just. I don't know. I think. I mean, you're talking about. But I, I mean, know. I could. I, I think it's definitely for debate. Obviously, yeah. I, I would I tilt know. Milwaukee. In I just, I'm looking for a big year at MKG to stay healthy and yeah. if he can facilitate a bench role if it comes to that. Let's. You know, it's great. Let's let's talk about MKG for because let's again, please. another Kentucky guy. You've watched him since college. Absolutely, so um, love the guy. He's young. You and He's I, young have, people, patience is a virtue. Well, you've been saying that for feels like a hundred years. And that's but. fine because <laughs> the guy's only still 24 years old. <laughs> Well, that's fine too. So. But you, you and I have always uh, talked about notoriously the fact that he, that hitch, as intense as it is now, and has been for the last number of years, it, he did not have that kind of hitch at Kentucky. Go watch videos. Go do what you must. Do your homework. It was not that bad. It's crazy. It's never been that bad. I watched a lot of Kentucky basketball. He hit jump shots in that offense in 2012 on his way to a national. I mean, he started a hitch shot, but it yes, wasn't... Yes, but it has it gotten was, progressively worse. It has. It has gotten bad. There's no doubt about it. It's crazy. It's gotten bad. It's crazy. So, all right, MKG, if and he I'm, has another... I've given up on the jump shot, and that's fine, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so. That's fine because there's still a role for that but how does he, type is of there, player. Is there? Yes, there is. You ever heard of Tony Allen? Yeah, but I don't. Tony you know how many Allen. playoffs the Grizzlies have been? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, they're not winning Western Conference Finals. But Tony but Allen didn't play. But who in is? He didn't play in this NBA. Tony Allen, to my knowledge, and we'll probably that's have fine. to look this up after the show. But Tony Allen's still a free agent, yeah. to my knowledge. No, and, and that's that's fair. But like, I mean, like this is a different NBA than Tony Allen grew up playing in. Like, I agree is with there that. a place for MKG? I think in the right rotation. If he's got four shooters around, look, him, look I will say this. I will say this. Like if he goes to Golden State, yeah. There's one on. position on the floor that a lot of NBA teams have a guy at that can stroke the bat. And let's not make too many mistakes. The guy. MKG? Yeah. 
I think I'll be honest with you. In, it's just in, hard for him to defend fours. I get that they're more perimeter oriented in this NBA, yeah. and he can guard a four. Don't get me wrong, but like sure, absolutely, that's why I think his best position is four because I actually yeah. think that the Hornets need to seek out a team like Denver, which I lobbied for for MKG for a long time, and they don't need him now. This is so hard for me to talk about. They don't need him now because they have Millsap. It's just hard for me to talk about him not being in a Hornets uniform, but just let me be realistic. He needs to play on a team that has four shooters in like a stretch five, and he can be the lockdown wing defender who yeah. just eats up random space in the paint because he can't shoot. I mean, Denver, but, but Denver he doesn't that mold. But but you know, in, you know, by equivalency, he doesn't hurt you because your five can shoot it and stretch the floor. Sure. So he's the one in and the rest of the four out. You know what I mean? And he's a good rebounder. So like, that's the kind of system I think MKG can thrive in in today's NBA. But well, Charlotte doesn't have that. Charlotte doesn't have that, and I just. That's I mean, damn, I understand. Sure. I understand the team like continuing to kick the can down the road with him, seeing what happens. But I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't know if it's ever going to work in Charlotte. That's fine. I say you still just be patient with it for a couple more years. I mean, guys don't sometimes hit their basketball to what, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. And I get like the yeah, jump but, shots. Yeah, when you can shoot. Yeah. The guy can't like. He can't kick it into the pond that's right next to him. You know what I mean? Like that's a problem. Yeah. No, and it, it, it is. And but it, I think for. For stretches, there's still value in a guy like that. No, I agree. It just has to be the right system. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it has to be a system with four shooters around him and a center that can stretch it all the way out to three-point line. And there's not a ton of those teams, but they're becoming more prevalent. I just always Well, everybody's Denver. trying to become that. Well, sure, but I just, I don't know, man. I just, I would have been so pumped to see him. I think just think it was a great fight. No, I understand, and I think that's fair. All right, what else we got? We got about, uh, it is. what do we got? We got about ten minutes here if we want it. What else do you want to talk about? Anything else? Yeah, what do we got here? Well, the ske- we got, if you want to talk about the schedule for a second, we kind of discussed it on the first segment, but anything that jumped off of you? Not necessarily. Honestly, I mean, it's it's run-of-the-mill for Charlotte. There's not many TV games. There's much NBA Thir- Christmas Day back. coming on. I mean, it is what it is. I tell you what, my league pass will be warm. Wow. <laughs> That's what that boils down to. Yeah. <laughs> True. All right. Well, while you're here, because you're gonna get off, and who knows when you're gonna be back, I'll just give you, give you some rapid. Let's I love just, it. Let's just keep it going. So give me like 15 seconds tops on every single question. Uh, breakout player of the year, Hornets. Gotta go, Malik. Just have to. But that's not break it. Okay. Well, what do you mean? What do you, no, okay. what are you no, trying to get at? No, no, no. It is. Okay, Malik. I like it. Okay, breakout player of the year, Malik Monk. Uh, most improved. This is interesting, but I think. In that lineup that we talked about, and it's hard because he actually had some pretty good years. I think Marvin's really gonna. Th- you know, if he it. could return to the yeah the. But 15, I, I think with him being out and you got Dwight, just, that gravitational pull, <laughs> just just like that moon. In oh, the exactly, yeah, yeah. like Marvin's prime. Yeah. And All he, right. he's better. He's better slashing. Let me give him credit. For oh him. no! Yeah, absolutely. In, Marvin's good at attacking the closeout. He in can do it. Vacuum. That is, right. that is Dwight Howard. I li- hey, look, I like it. If Marvin I, breaks out, I think it's a big-time, underrated key. The four success. spot has become yeah. so essential in the NBA franchise. Absolutely. That's what, absolutely. And All yeah, right. we, we put our chips in, we put them on the table, and we scooted them in on Marvin, so let's roll with that. Most disappointing player for the Hornets this I think that Michael Carter-Williams is going to have a really hmm. tough time Not what I would have guessed. transitioning okay. into the Clifford system. Okay. Just, I just don't know if I see it. All right, most likely to be traded at the deadline. Ow! Really? You're going. Yeah. You're gonna make me do this. You're I gonna think, make me say these three initials. I, 
Oh, no, no, no. See, that's not what I would guess. I know who you're going to say. It's not who I would guess. Let me hear your answer first. You rapid fire yourself. I think it's Jerry. Okay. I think they're going to give him run early in the season. Who wants him? Well, that's why they're going to give him run early in the season, <laughs> trying to kick his value up. <laughs> but right. I know who you're going to say. You're going to say MKG. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say it because... I think it's time. I mean, the little value... Well, look, I don't agree here. with it, but yeah. there's... You know, while there is the value there for the rebounding and the high two-point field goal percentage. Yeah. And it just has to be the right team. The tenacity yeah. and the heart. Sure, but there mm-hmm. might be the right team out there willing to strike. Like, if you're looking at yourself and you're in playoff contention and you're, like, another team, you just happen to have that... You're just kind of missing something, but there's a question. Yeah. He's the kind of guy who feels... feels. So who is that team? I mean, I, we just got done with free agency. A lot of teams are locked in, can't trade players. That well, they you just talked about for. Denver, right? Yeah, but Denver's out because they got Paul sure. Millsap. Yeah, no, that's anymore. fine. Um, I understand that. Man. Like, who is that team that has a stretch center? That, and they, you know, it doesn't even have to be a competitor. Like, you no. know, it could be somebody who, like... I don't know. Like, you know who I actually think could take a flyer on MKG because they'll take a flyer on just about anybody else? And Ooh, one I got of the guys that they in, just signed. I got a team in mind that doesn't necessarily have a stretch center, but they have a stretch big man, and they're really in a state of flux right now, and depending on what happens with their star. I think I know who you're going to say. Who? Who am I going to say? I'm talking about the Knicks. Yeah. No, I, I think and, no, absolutely. And, you know, depending on what happens yeah. with Carmelo, but, like, he strikes me as a Nick. Like, he's from Jersey. He's got the heart. Like, he wears it on his sleeve. No, I think Brian Geisinger and I have talked about the Knicks before. It's, this is I think it, no, I think it's, it's totally fair. I think it's totally fair. I like it. And and having a guy like Porzingis affords you those yeah. other, which is a damn good problem to have. I do not disagree. So, the, the other but, one, but what does New yeah. York have that we... Nothing. That's the problem. You know, a team that... I mean, yeah. I always thought Houston made a little bit of sense, even though they have Capella. Like, I know it's not a perfect fit, but I, th- I think they have enough spacing where it can work a little bit. Wow. And wow, I think the wow. other team that I think could just, like, kick it down the road to just, like, do an experiment. Yeah. Because, like, Scal, like, you could play him at five. I think Sacramento, like, could a little well, bit. Well, they don't sense. have anything to lose. Right. I do like, I and, mean, like, they I like how they brought on whatever. You know. By the way, if you're... If you're betting people listening to this podcast, Darren Fox, definitely a good dark horse for the year because his odds aren't going to be right there, but he's going to get a lot of touches. Yep. So just let me throw that out there. My rookie of the year, I'm just going to throw this out there too. My rookie of the year year. pick is Dennis Smith. I'm putting that on record. I can't disagree with that. That's fine. No, no, yeah, I can disagree with that. I mean, that's just me. So, I mean, Lonzo's the popular pick, and then, of course, you got Markel, but, and Ben Simmons is in that discussion too, but you put those guys on the same team, yeah. you're effectively cutting their Gosh. touches in half. Hey, this is going to, I will say this, so, this will be one whatever. of the more fun But But back to the Houston, the yeah. Houston, let me touch on the Houston MKG thing for a minute. No, I yeah. like that. You like it, don't you? I was, I listening, like I was listening to uh, Jeff Van Gundy today, who, by the way, has gotten back into coaching. Absolutely love it. He's coaching some uh, team. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah so Van Gundy, you're my man. Love everything about you, but... Uh, I'm sure he'll listen to this podcast. Oh, I mean, the second we're done, yeah. he's actually here with us right he's, now. He's waiting. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's hanging out. Yeah. But uh, seriously, though, uh, Houston's very interesting because how much better can you actually get on offense in Houston? Not much. Not much. But how much worse can you get on defense if you're Houston? A lot because you yeah. weren't very good in the first place. So that's why it doesn't even make sense to add Carmelo if you're them at some point. Yeah. Because, like, you need help defensively. Like, your offense is pretty – I don't know. We're not we're not talking rockets here, but it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. For you. Well, let's yeah. get a three team going: Houston, New York, Charlotte. 
It just doesn't make a lot. Let's roll of, those dice. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Houston now because they have PGA Tuck. Um, yeah. I think they're they're just they're, you know they're too similar. Um, you know, so it, except Tucker can shoot a little. You know, if Tucker would have taken, he actually got offered more money to Toronto for for one last year. But the the irony in it, and that's, they, a sinking, they, that's a sinking ship to me. Toronto. Yeah. Well, I mean, but they got a good deal. Oh, I'm bringing all those guys back. You know what? You know, I should reserve. Have, yeah. I should reserve my comments until they have a full year of Ibaka. I'll, I'll reserve until then. However, just. No, Ibaka. Put that in your file cabinet. Don't put it too far back. That's I awesome. love what Toronto did by trying that, and it just didn't work, and I don't think it will but work. I mean, a full year of it. Yeah. Toronto's one of those. Who are you? Well, I mean, look, I, mean, I, look, I, I like, I like re signing Lowry because. Your back was against the wall. The the East is weakened. Like well, they got they got all those guys they had to resign. They got them for you're going to be years. a playoff team, but like besides that, what else is changing? They didn't have to spend the full five year max on them, no. or even for that the four year max. Like they and got that's good. They've set up their timeline for the next three years, and when you know kick the damn rock down the road long enough, and you get the four seed for the hundredth straight year yeah. in three years. Uh, they get to <laughs> kiss that team goodbye and restart. But at least they timed up all those salaries to where they come off the books at the same time. And that I respect because the fan base wants you to bring those players back because they've sure. got you. You know, so you did that, but you didn't give them the long term, which I think is no. a win Absolutely. for them this summer. I agree. And They're just in a state of flux. <clears throat> but you know what? They did what they need to do. All right, I'm asking you one more question. Right. Quick, since we're just on this kind of yeah, we're on, Eastern we're on. scramble, we're kind of off topic. All right, we got about you know, uh, you know, three minutes tops. All right, right, right. let me throw this at you. Biggest impact acquisition this offseason in the East. Who got it? I have a guy in mind. Biggest in the East. Uh, I, I think it has to be cool. Okay. I I like that. I'm going to go a little bit different direction and just let me tell you why real okay. quick. Because right. you're already talking about it. I mean, yeah, wow, I like that because you're, you're I mean, effectively well, bucking up to Cleveland a little bit there. I think they can beat However, them. you're already the one seed. Yeah. And so, like, I get it. I just... I'd like to see how it works for him. I mean, look, they lost Avery Bradley, so it's not like they just came out. Yeah. So who did you just say? Avery Bradley. To me, that's the biggest acquisition. No, oh, my God, no. Detroit. Uh, I don't agree with that. He's going to be great. For I him. love Avery Bradley. He's going to be fantastic. But he That is, is like, as far as like a team on the need, like I don't consider Boston needing a lot. Obviously, they got Gordon, and that's good for them. Like, yeah, yeah. They were already the one seed, but as far as just like making a big impact, like you get a guy like Avery Bradley – that's something that's foundational, right? It is. That's but, something but you can a, hang but, your but hat he, on for the future. But, but you can't though. That's the whole point of Ever Bradley. He's a free agent next year. Yeah, but I think that they'll be able to fix that. I think they'll. I, I I'm sure they have his bird rights, so they can offer him more. Well, they got it. You know, but but still, like he's on a trial basis. But I think they're going to show him that. You know, but, we're still trying to do this up here. But the fact that you that. Traded, I love Avery yeah. Bradley. I just, I'm an Avery Bradley guy. No, no, no. Me and you both. I just like, like To me, he's more than just 3 and D. I just don't understand what Detroit is. Well, yeah. I mean, don't even get me started on that. But, like, at least it's a step in the right direction, right? Yeah. And, and look, Boston got Morris. Marcus Morris. I know. Who, nobody's talking about. Which is, yeah, it's an underrated thing. Absolutely. And then, and then Gordon Hayward. I don't know. My opinion on all that Those is guys that, aren't, like, they're not, the Morris brothers aren't all-stars. But they're just, they're really really solid. I think they're good playoff players. Like, yeah, they just do what they do. Because they're You're, hard-nosed. Like they're when, very consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, scale of 1 to 10, they're just hanging out at 5, but you're always yeah. going to get that 5, right? 
and you're always going to get the best effort. And, and guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. And when push comes to shuffle and it gets physical, you don't want anything to do with this. No, absolutely not. And look, you know? I mean, they're doing it. Boston's. Uh, Anyways, I, I just they're think, making it around. I just think Hayward, man. I still I, think Cleveland's king of the East. For could beat them though. Anyways, different conversation for yeah, third that, time. We can debate that later. That's fine. You saw what happened. They were content to give them the one seed, squash them like an insect, whatever you needed. It's always fun when, excuse me, when Joe Michael comes on and we had a great time talking Monk, talking the East, talking Dwight, talking everything Hornets coming up for this year. And we will have him back on soon. Uh, but that'll do it for episode 34 here at Buzzbeat Radio. Don't forget we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. And also... We're a good friend of Sports Channel 8, so make sure you're going and checking out. Do you, Jermichael, do you know what Sports Channel 8 is? That's a Twitter follow of mine. A must, right? Absolutely, it's a must. If you're a sports fan in the state of North Carolina and you do not follow Sports Channel 8, you don't go and visit SportsChannel8.com, make sure you do it. Those guys are awesome. Based out of Durham. Check it out, guys. Branch out. Explore your North Carolina sports options. We're only going to point you in the right direction here. That's exactly it. It's been a pleasure. It. Thank you for having me on, BuzzBeat. Follow us. Love us. Wait, wait, wait. Where can people follow you on Twitter? At JMGriff44. We got to get his follow. It's his a fo- humble following. His followership up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, um, I try to keep up with the Hornets, man. I, I do what I can. I'm a student of the game, always. He's a student of the game humble. and a student of the U- University of Kentucky. So he's busy and... And has, uh, you know, he doesn't have as much time for us Twitter uh, moles as as most. But um, but anyways, we always appreciate him coming on and enjoy having him on. Thanks, guys. All right. And so we will be back. Uh, I don't really know, actually, when we'll be back for sure. But we'll be back soon. And mark your calendars. We're going to have that uh, season preview extravaganza. I'm probably going to have it uh, coming to you guys live on Periscope with Brian myself and Richie so uh, just stay tuned for more information alright until next time we'll see you then later everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.